Hello and welcome back to the Anarchaeologist podcast with your host, Tristan. Yes, we are returning to the normal format. I know, I know, it's been a very, very long time, but I finally sat down with somebody within my own time zone, which is uh, quite a rare occurrence for this show. In any case, today I have Stephen Reed from Immersive Minds. Now, Stephen Reed is well known for his implementation of Minecraft in education settings. And we're talking today about how Minecraft and other games kind of can inform the way in which we do education and in the ways that games can be used in a very positive manner to help people learn. Now, Stephen, thank you very much for coming to speak to me today. You're welcome. So what was the impetus for Immersive Minds? Can you tell us a little bit about why why do you start that? Well, I've I've been running my own business pretty much since I left uni. Um, nothing really fitted with me. Um, I've been a, I'm a big people person. I love working with people. Started actually when I left uni in call centres, um, and just loved you know people. I've had a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I don't know how you could stand you know you could stand working in a call centre, and I couldn't do it for any length of time and stuff." And for me, it didn't matter the environment. It didn't really matter what you know what the 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 role was as long as I was surrounded by people and I was involved with people and that kind of told me very very early on that this is what I needed to do it didn't matter what it was going to be as long as it was with people and of course I was very young at that point um, and uh, I thought I want to be able to do things for myself so there was a few sort of smaller jobs um, in between all of which involved the train I very quickly moved into training people training adults to help them to do their jobs and you know passing on instructions and, and creating resources that helped people to learn more effectively in places like supermarkets call centers and so on and then a very chance meeting with a with a fellow in Scotland he he'd uh, he'd seen my work and said do you think your skills are transferable to schools um, and he worked in a, a, an education, a small education business. And I said, let's try it. So he took me on and I never looked back. It was education all the way from there. And I've loved every second of it, um, which I'm very lucky. And I got I got to a certain point um, where I thought I want to do this for myself. I had I had my own ideas. I had my own sort of um, yeah. kind of creative drive. And I thought and one of the things I noticed was that um Technology in schools, back when I started running my own company, um, technology in schools was very fringe. Um, and it's it's limited now to a large degree, but back then it was extremely fringe. There was very basic computer system setups. Uh, children were learning PowerPoint and Word, and the printer was kind of the most advanced a lot of, uh, a lot of kids got in terms of playing with something alternative. So, um, so I thought, unlike yourself in terms of your... Uh, your experience with podcasting. I just loved playing around with Audacity, which was free for podcasting. I did animation, I did filmmaking. I was always playing around with technologies. Lots of cool things were coming out on the web as well. We were being introduced to um, more flash-based models yeah. and, and kind of things on the web. So I thought to myself, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take some cool tools into schools, you know, technology schools, uh, tools into schools, and I'm gonna show them and actually, if I could put it to you as a, as a moment that I realized this was going to work was when I was working in a school very early on. Um, and I said to a group of children, tell me about a piece of technology that you know how to use, you know, a cool trick or something that you can do with technology that I don't know about. And they used to call me the tech guy. You're the tech <laughs> man, you're the tech man, you know yeah. everything all the kids used to say. And I said, no, 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 you know, I don't know everything. And that's the thing I'm here to learn from you, mm -hmm. um, which is always one of my uh, one of my approaches in education. But anyway, this one kid said to me, 
he had Sky Television had just released um, the pause function on TV. Pause, rewind, fast forward. Yep. I think Sky Plus had just come out. And he said to me, this little boy put his hand up and he said, I can make the television go slow motion, any program, any time. And I said to him, oh, how do you do that then? And he said, I press the, uh, you press the play button and you hold it for five seconds on the Sky Television remote control and the television slows down. Um, and I had never, I knew it could pause, I knew it could fast forward and rewind, I didn't know. So this raised a number of questions for me, the first being, First of all, how do you do it? And he told me that. So so I understood that the child had gone through a process of doing something which had a result. I then said to him, um, what would have happened if you'd broken it? And his answer was someone, you know, the engineer or my dad or somebody would have fixed it, um, which then told me that there was this where adults have a barrier to technology. These children just don't. They just they don't need the instruction manual and they don't care if it breaks, which some people see as a bad thing, but actually it's a huge part of the learning process. And the third and final thing for me was, um, what what would you use that for? Because I'm immediately thinking slow motion television, what would I use that for? And he just, I said, so I, said, so I asked him that. I said, what, what would you use it for? And he said, oh, well, my mum slows down Jeremy Kyle's face. <laughs> and she watches, and I just, and he just had this, and she said, and he said, and we play around with, with slow motion faces, he said, or you can slow down, you've been framed, and you can watch all the accidents in slow motion. And me and my brother, we laugh. And I just, it just hit me. I thought this child has found a piece of technology, learned how to use it, and applied it to his entertainment. Now, if we can do the same in education, if we can, if we can find accessible technology, learn how to use it, and then put it in our classrooms and apply it to our learning or our teaching, then we're on to a winner because this is what children want to do. Um, so that started me off in podcasting, animation, filmmaking, digital cameras, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, however, over the course of the last sort of certainly 17 years, it's become more and more and more obvious that games and, and, and that goes for everything about the game, game development, game coding, game advertising, um, game play, everything children absolutely love it and so naturally as a gamer i started to think how could i use my playstation how could i use my xbox how can i use tomb raider and uh, and that largely led to immersive minds what i want to do and the reason that behind the the, the brand of my uh, of my company is um i believe in immersion i believe that the, the the highest point at which children are truly learning and truly enjoying what it is that they're doing in schools is when they are immersed in what they're doing and that immersion only happens when they are it's a kind of a, a cycle you know they will get immersed if they enjoy what they're doing and they'll enjoy what they're doing if they're immersed in it so i use technology and primarily games to immerse children in learning now that is absolutely amazing i love the story about the slow um the slow motion TV. I think it goes to show that, you know, the technology that we create, you know, all the little nooks and crannies of it will always be explored by people with uh, good imagination. But obviously mm. there is the kind of criticism of saying, well, like, I mean, how can you bring Call of Duty into a classroom? You know, like, how can you bring Grand Theft Auto V into a classroom? Because ultimately, when we talk about video games in in the general society's view, it is always about the violent adult content that, well, the kids seem to somehow get their hands on. And yeah. that's, that's the slant. I mean, has it, has it, has the view about video games changed, do you think? Because obviously, like, you know, I can't imagine 
you know, you did, you know, in our pre-chat, you mentioned, for example, Command and Conquer, you mm-hmm. know, um, as a, as a game that inspired you. Uh, but yeah. how do you kind of convince people who only see games as one, violent, and two, as part of just, just entertainment? I mean, what do you, what do you say to those people? As I said, when I first started doing this, technology itself, or, or, alternative technologies were still very much a fringe science and games weren't even considered um and uh, and that wasn't that long ago um it was very 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 small pockets around the world where people were considering that they might do it so i've really pushed for that and it's been a hard road it's been a, a very very slow turning wheel and even now minecraft is only just being introduced with the weight of um its education kind of uh, portfolio which it has now and people like microsoft only now is it being kind of pushed through the uh, the education channels. For me, it's a twofold thing. First of all, it's about educating adults, parents, teachers, and so on, about the, t- the, the difference in types of games, because it's, it's like everything. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of different films out there, and you couldn't possibly say that every film in the world is bad for a child to watch because it will, you know, films are violent. Now, you wouldn't say that about films because you would say, well, Disney don't produce violent films, for example, they're very, or Pixar don't produce violent films. So you immediately start to associate brands, companies and so on that don't produce violent films. Cartoons, although there's an argument that cartoons may be in some <laughs> cases, um, but, but ultimately we immediately associate the, the film, uh, sorry, the medium of film as something that has um, separation within it. However, we are still struggling with the idea that when you speak to parents about games, they say, oh, games just teach kids to destroy. Now, that's a very interesting thing, because if we go back to the original Tetris, one of the one of the um, the highest selling games of all time with uh, with an incredible following across multiple platforms all around the world, that was psychologically one of the most successful games and one of the most um, playable games for the human for the human uh, mind simply because it did two things first of all it asked us to organize and that's what we do as human beings that's what that's why we have civilizations it's why we have streets and you know roads and hospital systems and amenities and and that's what we it's what we do as a species we also destroy but we but ultimately our goal has been to create and to organize that creation somehow so basically uh that's what tetris did it said here's a bunch of bricks create uh you go organize them get creative with them and go organize them the second thing it did which then allowed us to to or or, or made us want to play more is whenever we achieved something i.e a complete line it took it away from us um and left us with our mistakes it left us with those things we had done wrong. And of course, again, part of the human spirit is to create solutions for those mistakes, fix those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So constantly this game was saying, go create and organize. Oh, and we'll take, you know, we'll take away your, uh, your successes so that that's, you just keep having to do it. And we love doing that. You know, you see it in, in, in modern society. When something goes wrong, we come in with the, uh, the, the construction crews and we fix it, you know, whether it's a burst water main or whatever. We don't leave it. We fix it. That's what we do. So Tetris was one of those games that just really spoke to the human spirit and, and there are lots and lots of other games like that. Um, we've also, if, if, you t- if you go even further back and look at something slightly different, storytelling, we have, we have passed stories on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. 
whether it's Greek mythology or Irish um, uh, Irish mythology or, or any of that kind of stuff. If you look at the Hound of Culain or the Salmon of Knowledge in, in, in Ireland, mm-hmm. right through to Perseus and the and, and the Island of Calypso in, in Greek mythology and so on, and over to the you know the Chinese and the, the Japanese and all the all the mythologies. We told stories, and behind those stories were points that we made to our children. We were telling our children about the. Um, the glory of honour, or we were telling them why they shouldn't steal. You know, the Hound of Culain was about not stealing, and uh, um, the Salmon, the Salmon of Knowledge, was not was about not stepping um, outside of your own kind of uh, knowing your place in society, for example. And um, they all had kind of morals and ethics that we built into those stories. Are you telling me there's ethics in video games? (laughs) We can teach. We can. We absolutely can teach ethics. So, for example, in Ico, um, uh, which is a game on the PlayStation 2, which is about a little boy who gets uh, locked into a, a... castle and the reason he gets locked into the castle is because he's born with one horn and society takes every child who's different and they put them in these catacombs and they leave them and it's part of a kind of a sacrificial you were different therefore we're going to cast you out and i've had wonderful conversations with kids about that about looking at why you know why we should treat people the same just because they might look different to us or they might seem different to us Um, and that goes right that stretches right into disabilities and and, and all sorts you know so why should a child be treated any different because they're in a wheelchair for example and the kids in that class then have a great discussion about this poor child who was put in this temple because he had a horn and what's also lovely about that game is that the little boy then meets a girl who's made of light and she's very um, she's very weak and she's not able to kind of climb like he does or fight the shadows like he does and all the way through the game there's a, a there's a, a a lovely mechanic in that game where if you press i think it's r1 or r2 on the on the playstation you call her name and she runs to you and then you take her by the hand and you lead her through the game and it's this it's like resp- you have a responsibility for another human being and if you leave her behind she won't, she won't survive. And what's fascinating is watching kids playing this old PlayStation 2 game with, you know, sort of graphics nowadays that kids might, uh, you might think kids turn their nose up yeah. at. And they get so involved in looking after Yorda and they panic when they can't see her and they go, where's Yorda? I think I've left her behind. And they run and they take her by the hand and they lead her through the puzzles. And all the time they're doing puzzles and they're problem solving and they're doing maths and there's a bit of science involved. But ultimately they are leading this young girl to safety. And it's a lovely game for helping kids, teaching kids about the, the morals and the ethics behind treating people as equals and looking after people that are less fortunate than you, and I think it's that there's 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 merit in in that. I think um, so. So storytelling is another one. If we go back to the, the Greek and uh, Irish mythology, I was talking about computer games are a beautiful way of telling stories, and it's, whether it's through the graphics or it's through the, the, the narrative, lovely ways of telling stories. And we've always done that. So why not with computer games? So I think back to your original question. It's, it's twofold. The first is to educate people that there are different games and there are different ways of approaching this medium. Um, and actually, secondly, it's about the argument that games don't necessarily breed violence. You know, the old um, guns don't kill people; people do. <laughs> people with people with guns do. And it's all now. I, I, there's a lot of research. I'm not here to say that you know one is right and one is wrong because there's a huge amount of research that's still going on. And being a fringe science, it would be ignorant and arrogant of me to say, you know, no child has ever been affected by the violence that they see in a computer game or the, you know, killing rabbits in Minecraft or shooting soldiers in, in Call of Duty. Personally, I'm not a Grand Theft Auto fan. I have never played a Grand Theft Auto after the second one, um, which was the first 3D version. And I saw the violence and I saw the unnecessary booting people out of their cars and stealing them and thought, not for me. 
and I don't promote that in schools. Incidentally, however, Call of Duty is slightly different. Call of Duty I also disagree with, but I have used it as a point of discussion in classrooms to look at uh, modern politics and why when they buy a computer game, there's always this assumption, and I work with older kids on this one, but we look at social norms and normative beliefs. Mm -hmm. And what's really nice exercise is getting these older kids down and sitting them down and saying, you play Call of Duty? Yes, I do. And then we show them some clips from it and stuff. And I say, who are the baddies? Who are the bad guys that were out there to stop from world domination? And they say, oh, it's the Russians or it's the Middle East. And I say, well, let's discuss that. Why is it always the Russians? Why is it always the Middle East? Do you think games like this help the political climate that's going on out there? Because what they're reading in the papers is being reflected in their computer games. And I want them to look at what 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 they're being told and what they believe are social norms and normative beliefs. So if they play a computer game where everyone in the Middle East is a bad guy, how is that affecting the way they then approach society and they approach the um, the people from the Middle East in their community? Does it have an impact? Is it affecting the conversations they have and so on? And it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's been a huge, huge um, success that one because the kids really get down to talking about what, and one of the questions that one kid gave me was, so when the Russians buy this game, is it the Americans that are the baddies? And I say, well, I don't know. Let's get a hold of the game. Let's see if we can get a Russian copy of the game and yeah. see if the Russians are the baddies. Because I can't imagine a bunch, no. a generation of Russians who... Yeah are happy to see themselves being the terrorists all the time, for example. So it's a really interesting conversation. So, yeah, I think it's about um, just helping people to understand that there are, A, there's a, a variety of games within this medium, and, and, and B, we need to be open to, to how those games are played. Obviously, I'm playing uh, devil's advocate because I, I am very much into my video games myself. And, you know, mm. it's, it's very easy to know what the... Um, the kind of it, it's always almost as if whenever you speak about video games, there is always this expectation of like pushback. You know, there's always there's always a criticism to be had, and when you're dealing with this all the time, it's almost like it's it's not like when somebody's like, oh well, I I teach about books in schools, you know, or I I talk about yeah. books, I research books, or I research films, because I mean, when we had uh, we we look at films, you know, uh, from moving pictures all the way up to you know, what some people call the pinnacle, their Citizen Kane. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's also where comic books became graphic novels. Yeah. There is, there is space to actually admire some of the great things that have been told in games. I mean, actually picking on Call of Duty for a moment, Call of Duty 4 was one of the first Call of Duties that I played from start to finish. And mm. the, I, I, are you familiar with Call of Duty 4? I am, yeah, yeah. I, I, guys, it's been out for years, so you can't call spoiler on this one. But no, you can. <laughs> in one of the one of the uh, one of the levels, which I absolutely love, is um, what happens is a nuclear device goes off, mm -hmm. and you're caught in a helicopter you're flying helicopter, away from it. Yeah. <laughs> and the most brilliant part of that is you are now a basically dying soldier, crawling mm -hmm. through a play park. Uh, with the giant mushroom cloud in the distance as you slowly pass away. And, it's a phenomenal scene. And it, like, if it, that was the only part of the game that existed, it would be, you know, not interesting at all. But the fact is, when you couple that with the rest of the game, mm -hmm. and then what actually happens is, uh, the next part is shows all the names of the people who died. And your name is only, your character's name is only one of thousands who died. Um, it kind of, to me, that, that, that made Call of Duty 4 an anti-war game. 
yeah. by demonstrating yeah. that in comparison to the rest of it. And of course, you know, everybody says, oh, we love the Pripyat level, but it didn't come anywhere near the amazing kind of different levels that that, um, kind of that scene did. I mean, are, is there, is there a favorite part of the game that really speaks to you on that level? Um, of any game. Yes, any game. Like, I'm saying, what's um, your favorite game to kind of show something like that? You kind of sat back and you're like, oh my word. Well, there is, um, this game, because of the Call of Duty franchise, this game didn't get quite the same, uh, attention, but there is a game called Homefront, mm -hmm. which was a similar, uh, first person perspective shooter. And it's about the Koreans and the Chinese, um, largely the Koreans though, who gal uh, galvanize their, their, their forces, I think, in, in this semi, and it's not futuristic, it's just, very near future. I think it's supposed to be set in 2017 or something. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the North and South Korea have settled their differences. They've reunited. Mm -hmm. They've galvanized their armies. And they somehow managed to attack America. They start off by using a huge EMP device, which shuts down mass communications on one of the coasts. And then they, over they, they take over. And because America's forces are largely deployed abroad, they have pretty much uh, free run of the states and there's an opening scene in fact there's there's several small scenes where you see the american people on the american streets being rounded up and uh men are separated from women and clothes are separated and so on and it's happening on the streets and then they're put into concentration camps which are actually temporary but they're in football stadiums and you're handcuffed and you're put onto a bus because you're going to be sent to this kind of work camp and you're you're viewing this from the bus window as you go through and there's there's one terrible scene where you see a, a father trying to run to his son and they just shoot him down in the street and it's brutal i mean it is brutal and there are there, there, there's a there, there's a there's an argument for not using it in schools i never have incidentally yeah. but it really did strike me as as a anti-war generally and it wasn't just the fact that you know obviously it was that uh, the americans the, the american city that was being um being dominated but it was um it, it struck me as something that i you know almost really wanted to show the kids and say look this is happening in other countries right now this happened in germany this happened in austria this happened in poland this is this this is what we are capable of and there's a very real kind of lesson here but in a much in a modern engaging context that children want to be involved in and i i really remember playing that game and thinking wow that was uh that was hard hitting it was very hard hitting oh. I'd, adv I'd recommend you see it <laughs> i want to actually challenge you on this because you know obviously this is an invocation of the second world war in which the nazi occupation of poland and the other countries was is is almost um what i want to say is that by using americans as the quote-unquote uh, occupied peoples is it mm. is it sometimes playing into this right-wing idea that you know america is constantly under attack and this is what happens if we don't supply a huge military isn't there an angle to take with it that says well you know is this you know wouldn't it be better actually to then have that game focus on parts uh, in a, in other countries where Americans are doing this kind of stuff. Because ultimately, if you look at stuff like uh, Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent and um, mm -hmm. his later books talking about America is basically the biggest terrorist state in the world. And, you know, um, because, I mean, look at the way we bomb other countries. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what concerns me sometimes is that 
although it Homefront sounds like a great game and it wasn't well received um but what what you've described to me it sounds like there's almost like um an invocation without clarification uh, in terms of what it actually means for people to be round up because although it's set in the uh, in a fictional setting it's mm-hmm. something that happened quite real to a number mm-hmm. of people absolutely and i think i mean that would be a question i would set to developers to be honest um and sort of in terms of their uh, their social responsibility and i do think like 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 so many companies these days i think developers indie or otherwise do have a social responsibility yeah. i've actually been speaking with a lot of developers recently about the work that i do because a lot of them are now coming to me and saying i'm developing this game how do you think it will be received in education how do you think or or alternatively they say to me i want it to be received in education in a certain way how can you help me to link the curriculum to what i'm trying to do and there's a number of them um, there's a number of indie developers that have, have, have kind of approached me in that respect um whether it's been at a convention or it's been on skype or something like that and um, i do think that there's a, a responsibility to make sure that the stories that you're telling because if we are going to talk about games as mm-hmm. a powerful tool for storytelling which i firmly believe they are we have we have to make sure that those stories if we're putting those stories in front of kids now to be fair Homefront was an 18 yeah, game, yeah. No, therefore course, it's not going to, as is Call of Duty. So they're not, I mean, these, we're talking about yeah. these games, but they shouldn't be in schools um, primarily. Um, however, if we are going to be using those games as a learning tool, and those games are reaching British homes mm-hmm. um, or, or American homes or, or whatever, but let's talk about, you know, living in, 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 yeah. in Britain in the UK, at large. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, if they are going to be reaching British homes and, Brit- and therefore the eyes of, and minds of British children, there is, I believe, there is a, a social responsibility for those games and that's why i'm not a gta fan um i live just along the road from the developers i'm sure there's you know i've got nothing against the developers themselves but for me it's not a socially uh helpful game and that's not to say that every game should be grounded and socially helpful therefore you know lose its edge for any for any reason but i just don't think it i think it does quite the opposite i think it's purposefully pointing pointing at the opposite The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Arc Podcast. Let's get back to the show. I think um, this is the great uh, conversation about video games at the moment is actually just having the space for lots of different ideas and mm-hmm. allowing those ideas to flourish and not just having one set of ideas. I, I don't think anybody's, you know, um, calling for fewer ideas to be put out there. But it's quite interesting. I mean, you've interacted a lot with um, a lot of different developers, both indie developers, and I'm guessing you hint at maybe larger companies as well i mean yeah, yeah. what um what do you think is there a difference between indie developers and larger companies from your perspective or um, no i mean i think i mean I, 
games developers would probably listen to this and go, there's a massive difference. But from my perspective, in terms of their, what I would say is that indie developers have the space to be more uh, conscientious of what they're trying to do and um, free to kind of look at what it is, they, you know, what kind of audience they want to, to develop and so on. Um, and what they, how they want to aim their, their product. The big companies and what I've discovered um, with with people like you've got your um, Call of Duties and basically your franchised games, they're under a huge amount of pressure to produce uh, the same quality of game and the same style of game with the same amount of content, if not more, in shorter and shorter spaces of time. I got to a point where I really lost interest in Call of Duty because it was one every six months and it might as well have been the same game. What they should have done, in my opinion, was bundled it all together and just released many, many maps. And, and, and so it should have just been a, a mod system rather than a game after game after game after game system, which you continue to pay £40 for um, or, or or so. But that's a, that's a whole different argument. So I suppose the main difference for me is that while they're all trying to do the same thing, they're all trying to tell stories, they're all trying to entertain, um, and they're all trying to make a living, let's face it, that's what we're all trying to do. Um, I think that the indie developers um, are in a really nice place just now to look at the audience that's out there and this real... Because let's face it, over the last few years, and particularly with the success of things like Minecraft, there has been a real resurgence in uh, game popularity. People haven't been buying games on this level for since the 80s, I think. Since the introduction of the Commodore 64s and the and the Spectrums, people haven't been buying games on this level. And I think that um, we've got to a point now where I think indie developers can now look at what it is that is hugely creative for them. What is it they want to do? Who is it they want to reach? What messages and stories do they want to put out there? Um, and in my opinion, one of the big questions they should be asking themselves is, and how socially responsible and how educational can those games be without being strictly educational? How can we help people to learn through those stories? Because we learn from books, we learn from films. How can we learn from, uh, how can we learn from games? And obviously this is uh, one of those things is the, the argument of, well, they're just entertainment. You know, there's, yeah. you know, there's just, uh, it's, I, I just want to sit back and, you know, play my games and not have anybody come across and, you know, teach me something. But like, uh, you know, th- these, these are things that are cult- part of cultural media. They're, there's, <laughs> there's something always inherently, there's always morals and, uh, there's points to talk about within these things. I mean, we've talked obviously about the stuff you don't really like, the controversial stuff, but apart from my, like, obviously Minecraft has this wonderful open-ended kind of world-building aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it such a great game, uh, for, uh, people to learn with, but, are there other games? Obviously, you've mentioned, for example, Ico. What what games do you use day to day to kind of uh, in education that maybe an educator would be like, okay, well, that, that sounds, you know, like that's 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 actually a quite a good game to get children involved. Yeah, I mean, I I use dozens and dozens and dozens of games, and um, I use. Uh, just opening up even my Steam uh, favourites list. Um, I've got my little favourites, which are all in my favourites list is basically what I use in schools. And I use things like um, Elegy for a Dead World for literacy. Mm-hmm. We've got From Dust, which is a huge, huge in terms of earth science and in particular geography. Uh, we have The Plan, uh, which is a little uh, free game that you can download from 
um, Steam, and you should complete it in about six minutes. And it's uh, it's profound. Uh, just 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 getting kids to play the plan and then asking them what they think it meant is fantastic. I use Riven for um, storytelling, uh, science, mathematics, literacy. It's all it's all in there. Riven's a fun. The Mist series in general is fantastic. Mm. Um, but on a day to day basis, uh, well, there's Spore, there's Civilization.